I'm a time lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Castelbrus. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a doctor, but I am. I'm a doctor. That's probably not the one you expect. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Where do you want to start? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the new Who Doctor Who doc- Watch Along podcast. <laughs> ah, it's tricky, isn't it? <laughs> I was thinking about something else. I was thinking about something else. I was thinking about how I was going to introduce you, but now I've already spoken, so I don't have to. How are you doing, Tim? I'm not too bad. How are you? Good I'm week? all right. I'm all right. Are you over England's defeat of the, of the Euros Cup? Honestly, I, I was kind of, I was pretty deflated in the moment, like when we lost, but like about less than an hour later, I was over it. And we did very well. We played very well. That's the yeah. best England's <laughs> been in most of our lifetimes. It always, it's always on your birthday as well when we lose. I remember when we fell out of the last World Cup, it was your birthday. It and this was. time, when we fell out the Euros, it was your birthday as well. Did you have a nice birthday? I did have a nice birthday, yeah. It's just a shame that it's a football omen. <laughs> did you get lots of um, Doctor Who presents? No, not a single one. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you? If, someone, yeah. if so, so, someone got me a Doctor Who present um, a couple of years back, and it was very kind, and it, it wasn't like a Funko Pop. It was a very nice um, piece of art. It was like a, you know, one of those metal plates that magnets to the wall? Oh, yeah. It's one of those. It's got like this really nice Doctor Who print on. Like the print's really nice. Obviously, I've said thank you. But it's just kind of been in my room for ages. Maybe, maybe I'll give it away as a competition prize one day. Mm. Um, I mean, people, you gave me a very nice one. You gave me a very nice Sorry, go on. Sorry. No, go on. No, sorry, I was talking. I, I was just saying that you got me a very nice uh, Doctor Who birthday present one time. Um, because what was it? Um, Peter Capaldi was filming. What was it? Uh, was it Dickens? They no, just David Copperfield. It was. He's filming. Yeah, David yeah. The personal history of David Copperfield. It was. Yeah. Yeah, and you got and you bought like this Doctor Who graphic novel and got him to sign it for me. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I think I. I can't remember what day your birthday was that year, but say it. Say it was a Saturday, I was there, I got that signed that morning, and then, but the day before I'd been and got my own graphic novel signed, which I only read within the last 12 months, and the one I got is rubbish. <laughs> it's a really boring story. <laughs> so I'm kind of like really bummed out that I got like this legend to sign this really sort of naff <laughs> book. <laughs> Did you get him to sign your poster? No, I didn't. So here's the thing, listeners, is I have a, well, at the time was the complete Doctor's. It was for the 50th. And so far on it, I have David Bradley, Tom Baker, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, Paul McGann, uh, and David Tennant on it. And uh, But I I can't remember if it was scheduled rain. I thought I'm not going to risk standing outside in the rain with um, my cherished poster. Yeah. But yeah, so if, any, if anybody knows where uh, I know Eccleston's going to be at Comic Con in London this year, but unfortunately I won't be attending. Uh, so maybe another time. Yeah. But anyway, speaking of uh, Peace Capaldi, that actually transitions quite nicely into our first bit of kind of 
not quite Doctor Who news, but kind of Doctor Who adjacent news. Um, of- yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of like this stuff. It's kind of refreshing to talk about other things. <laughs> yeah, especially because there's we're kind of in a sort of Doctor Who drought like right now. I feel like that's fair to say. Yeah. yeah. You wait till next week. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Why? What's next week? Well, it's Comic Con. It's Comic. Well, we'll talk about it later. But it's Comic Con this. Oh no, it's Comic Con at some point. So, oh yeah. So Ivan, yes. next week or the week after, we'll have some Doctor Who news, hopefully. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, it is nice to talk about something else. Obviously, um, Peter Capaldi is playing the character the Thinker in James mm-hmm. Gunn's upcoming um, Suicide Squad film, The Suicide Squad. Not to be um, mistaken with. Suicide Squad from, I want to say, 2016. Um, 2016, I think, is right, yeah. Yeah. And most of uh, this article is him talking about um, just playing the thinker. But there's one little excerpt from him where he does make a little, a little, little Hoovian reference mm. in which he says, and excuse my terrible Capaldi. I was, I was going to say, we had Joe Eccleston, we had Glimpses at your tenant so far, but this is a deep dive into the future of the podcast. Gonna, How I'm is gonna, Peter Capaldi um, impression your debut? Yeah, I'm just going to get into the transformative mindset. Um, <laughs> Clara, Clara, be kind. Okay, money. <laughs> Working with talking sharks and a giant starfish. Once you've seen Doctor Who, that's just a day in the office. Although hopefully sometimes they're going to be more convincing. Wow, it was like he was in the room with us, wasn't it, listeners? Um, that's a quote taken from this week's, this month's anyway, Empire magazine. I am holding in my hands cover five of five, uh, which has Starro the Thinker and Amanda Waller on the front cover. Um, what do you think of Peter Capaldi's look? That's good, doesn't it? Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It's very different for him. Um, <laughs> he rocks it. I thought he would I thought he would have made a good Mr. Freeze, but there you go. I'm sure I'm sure he's going to be great in this movie as well. But I yeah, that like, quote there, I, I'm... I'm going to be on. honest. I feel like the Thinker is one of those characters where you look at him and he's like, yeah, he's going to die. I don't know. I don't... Well, I'll get into that in a minute. But that quote from Capaldi there, I quite like it because... I, I like it and I dislike it because it's sort of going, oh, the special effects in Doctor Who and whatnot, which... When we've looked back at these, especially that first Eccleston series, they're not the best. But recently, Doctor Who's um, special effects have been amazing. So I'm quite surprised that he says that. But then I suppose most people's conscious um, thought of Doctor Who's wobbly sets and things like that, which is, which kind of sucks that people still think of it like that when it is yeah. one of well, the... Again, the main villain is like the Dalek, which... The Dalek is entirely, well, not entirely, but a big part of its design is influenced by the fact that they had to make something that they could produce mm. on, you know, a 60s BBC TV budget. And that yeah. design, the essence of it is pretty much persisted throughout because it's iconic now. Yeah. But, you know, it is still kind mm. of like a dome on wheels. <laughs> yeah. Um Go back to what you said about Capaldi dying in Suicide Squad. I don't think he's. I think he's going to be quite a big player in it. No, I, I get the vibe that he's going to be a significant player, but I'm not convinced that he's going to live to the end. Like, is they, Jim Gunn has been pretty um, unsubtle in the fact that um, 
most of the cast of this film is going to die. Like literally the yeah. slogan is they're dying to save the world. So I feel like unless you're like one of the main characters, unless you're Idris Elba or Margot Robbie, I feel like you're not going to live to the end. Yeah, I don't, I, I know there was a thing where like even Harley Quinn could die, but I saw an interview with Margot Robbie where she was like, oh, I would love to do something with Poison Ivy in the future. They're like, oh, well, you live. <laughs> you right. don't die in this They movie, were never going to kill Margot Robbie. Like, she's too bankable. And Harley Quinn, well, I was going to say that Harley Quinn is bankable, but Birds of Prey didn't do that well, did it? It didn't, but it was a good movie. Me and Harrison, who we sometimes do the podcast with, we went and saw it. It was one of the last films I saw in cinemas before COVID. Uh, February last year, I think it was. And we, we really enjoyed it. It was good fun. Sonic beat it. Did it? Yeah, it, it beat it in the box office. Uh, think, well, quite effortlessly as well. well. I suppose children probably, they love going to the cinema, so not going to really worry about kids' films, are we, Harry? Nah. Did, did you did, did you go see Sonic? Um, I have seen it. Um... Just because, like, I played all Sonic as a kid. Um, you know, it's a kid's film. It's a very, it's a very, you know, solid kid's movie. Was it a good movie, though? Is it enjoyable? Like, if I was yeah, to watch it yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, it does what it sets out to do. It sets out to be, like, an entertaining, like, family action comedy thing. And it does that. It, it's successful. You know, it's not Is like... Jim Carrey's, you know, doing his Jim Carrey thing. If you like Jim Carrey, you'll like him in this film. It, you know, it's pretty much what you expect it to be, you know. It's oh. harmless, it's fun, it's it's the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, you know. It's not going to win any Oscars, but it's not trying to. I feel like it did, though, didn't it? Did it, win, it won some, I think it won a few awards for special effects and things like that. I don't think it did, did it? I don't know, maybe I've just made that up. Anyway, Doctor Who podcast. Yes. <laughs> And this is uh, something you sent me, which is from Den of Geek, which is them spe- oh, yeah. speculating on how Doctor Who should celebrate its 60th anniversary. Now, most of this article, mm. written by Jamie Andrew, is just kind of a retrospective looking back on kind of every anniversary special. But at the end, he shares his own kind of speculation uh, for what the 60th could be. Now, we kind of every week pretty much discuss what we think the 60th could be. So it'd be good to hear yeah, what was... someone else is uh, thinking and <laughs> kind of discuss that I, instead. I was thinking when I, when I sent this over, I was like, is this going to be a thing now where it's every week there's some kind of 60th speculation we talk about every week? Which if there is, I feel like we should start writing all the speculation down so that when it gets to the 60th, we can go, here's everything we might expect. But I feel like we've done so every week we think think of different ideas. It's inevitable by the point we get to the 60th, we will have gotten it right at some point. Female Davros. Female right. da- it's just normal, it's just normal Davros in a blonde wig. No one addresses it, no one says anything. He's just sat there with a nice blonde wig. Well, that's another idea. <laughs> putting money on it carry on sorry alright do you want me to read uh, what um, Den of Geek thinks for the 60th yeah give us a summary of what they what they think oh a summary well uh, okay I'll be jumping about a bit um, they're not expected <laughs> well they say that kind of 
Traditionally, milestones like the 60th aren't celebrated as much as the 20th or 50th. However, given that the show is currently declining in ratings compared to 2013, perhaps they need something big. Uh, they kind of think mm. that the most um, likely thing would be some cool science, sort of a multi-doctor story. Um, most likely involving Joe Martin's fugitive doctor, they think. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. They speculate about perhaps including the classic doctors in some kind of capacity in which they're kidnapped through some kind of time warp thing, which is why they're... I said that! I've said that in a previous episode! I know I've said that. I've said that. I think I said that. They, they should have been taken out of their timeline by the Master and that the current Doctor has to go and rescue um, ageing versions of past Doctors. Hmm. So there you go, Den of Geek listens to Bigger on the Inside. Another Official interesting sponsors. thing that Den of Geek speculate is that they think that perhaps they could bring in kind of Put Davros in the wig. They they were say they said the Schalke Doctor. <laughs> is the, uh, is that Richard E. Grant? Yeah, Richard E. Grant's stream of the Schalke Doctor. I've I know little to nothing about this apart from it was a an animated nineties thing. Um, Yeah, I believe it was an animated short for the 40th anniversary in which Mm. um, Richard E. Grant was the quote-unquote ninth Doctor and it was like kind of a flash animated thing. I think it was online. But their logic is um, if the Timeless Children is still canonical by the sixth year, might as well have fun with it and bring in these currently non-canonical Doctors such as the Schalke Doctor. That'd be cool. I mean, Richard D. Grant's been in Doctor since. He was the great intelligence with Matt Smith. Um, but yeah, I think that would be cool to bring something like that in. But it's interesting that they mentioned that it's losing viewers, but then say they should bring in Joe Martin, which would mean that not a lot of people would know who she is, though. So is that a big enough draw? Because if she's been in the series that's had the reclining viewers, then surely you want to bring in the big guns like Smith. Well, they also did kind of predict Smith tending Capaldi, but I kind of skimmed over it because that's pretty much what everyone's predicting. Yeah. And that's well, like, it's funny, especially like, sorry, go on. No, no, I was just saying that's kind of like the obvious thing to do. Yeah. Well, I, I saw online that a number of people were speculating that even Smith, if, if when the 60th comes around, if Matt Smith would actually be involved because of, um, filming commitments with the Game of Thrones series House of Dragons, I want to say it's called. Obviously, that's one of these big American... Something like that. And that's obviously one of these big American side... You know, one of these big American dramas where it's like one series is going to be 36 episodes. It's one of those shows as well where it's going to be airing whilst they're still filming it. You know, something like The Flash does quite a lot. So it'll be interesting to see if he becomes available to to even be in the 60th. Yeah, and it's also... Matt Smith, to my understanding, he's playing like the male lead in that show, isn't he? Yeah, he's a big. He's one of. I literally know nothing of Game of Thrones, but my understanding is he's like the title. He's not the title character. He's not playing a dragon or a house, but um, you know, he's the main guy. I mean, yeah, he's probably when it comes to Doctor Who actors working right now, he's probably the second biggest name currently in the industry. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I see what you mean there, but I, I wonder 
if when the 60th comes around, what will happen? Do you think that could be a, a serious possibility that he wouldn't be able to participate in it because of his commitments to Game of Thrones? I feel like it's a thing where they'll definitely try for games to come back. And if they do get him to yeah. come back, he would be receiving billing over tenant. It's kind of like they treat Oh, do you think? Well, if Matt Smith is like big Mr. Hollywood in 2023, I feel like yeah. they would treat Matt Smith coming back to Doctor Who as like almost like this A-lister big deal thing. Yeah, I feel more people have seen, if you go for the last 10 years anyway, more people have seen Smith's work than Tennant. You know, you, he was in Terminator, he was in The Crown, he's not going to be in Game of Thrones. He was in Alan Partridge not that long ago, just randomly appeared in that as a little cameo. Um, he's, do, he's doing loads of cool things, whereas Tennant, he's done, you know, he's done Broadchurch, but a lot of that is very British-based stuff. And of course, he did Jessica Jones. But do you know what I mean? There's a lot of British television dramas, Channel 4 dramas, ITV dramas, not these big global shows that are streaming worldwide. Although, I don't know how much of a reach I had in the US, but Good Omens is a pretty high-budget show. That's true, that's true. But then again, that's shared billing with Michael Sheen, isn't it? So, I, I don't know. It's, we'll have to wait and see. I think this is the thing that kind of I'm thinking. Because there's big names in terms of general actors and, you know, Hollywood, UK, all of that. And there's that hierarchy. But then when it comes to kind of which names are big names within the Doctor Who sphere, it's very different. Mm. Like, I feel like the biggest names in the world of Doctor Who are actors who have played the Doctor. And if you're getting an actor who's played the Doctor to come back, that's kind of treated as a bigger deal than a huge actor. Like, if you look at the 50th, I feel like people were much more excited for David Tennant coming back than John Hurt to come and play a doctor, even though John Hurt is a much more kind of well-known name generally. Yeah, and I feel like the inclusion of John Hurt brought in a lot of outsiders to see what he was going to do with that role. People went, oh, I like John Hurt and Doctor Who, yeah, whatever, I'll watch this. So I feel like bringing Matt Smith into the 60th he would maybe bring some of his new audience with him into Doctor Who have maybe been hesitant to watch it since. So people who have watched The Crown but have never seen Doctor Who and people who have watched this new Game of Thrones thing but not seen Doctor Who will go, oh, it's Matt Smith from The Crown and Game of Thrones. Oh, I like him. I'll watch this special. Do you know what I mean? He's sort of that new John Hurt almost. Although then there's the question of would that, would bringing Matt Smith back to Doctor Who, would that generate a larger audience then for Doctor Who after that? Or would it just cause loads of people to go back and watch Matt Smith's run as the Doctor? Um, I'm trying to think. Well, yes, people would probably watch that special and then go... I, I don't know because it depends on people's what people people's understanding of the show, but I'm thinking when I watched Doctor Who, I watched David Tennant, and then I went back and I watched Christopher Eccleston and then I fell in love with Eccleston and then more recently did again. Um, so you then just grow to love it. You, everybody has their favourite, and then you have to have your favourites and then appreciate the rest of the show. Mm. So it, I don't think it's a big deal if people watch that special because of Matt and then go back and watch Matt Smith because then they'll go, then they'll see him turn into Peter and they'll watch Peter's stuff and they'll, they will eventually have caught up 
with where they originally joined on from. So I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. You don't really, because Doctor Who's a show that's so much about change. If you get into Doctor Who, you can't get into it for one specific actor. You have to kind of get into the show as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. So, if, yeah, for example, if they watch the 60th with Matt Smith and they go, amazing, love Matt Smith. They go to his first episode, the 11th hour, which is an amazing jumping on point. And then there's Rory, Amy. Oh, sorry, there's a petrol station just across the, uh, the bus from me. The, the, they, they will join with Matt and they will see Rory and Amy and then they will leave and they'll be introduced to Clara and they'll like Clara so they'll stay with Clara for Peter and you know there's always that that um, layered sort of continuation until you get to Jodie of course and it's all, all new but by then you, you're used to it yeah 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 that's a good point that's a good point yeah yeah uh, there's one I've, last I've, thing from this Adeno Geek article before we move on to the next bit which is yes. that they think when it comes to the monsters that appear in the special, they think the Daleks and the Cybermen are being overused and that they wouldn't make an yeah. impact. And so they suggest, I guess, similarly to the 50th, bringing back the Zygons, that they bring back some sort of classic monster, such as the Black Guardian or the Mighty Sutet. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I feel for the sixth. Yeah, because what they did with the 60th is the Daleks are in it because they're, they're, they're just as famous as the Doctor, so you want them in the show. But you don't just want another Doctor Dalek showdown. It's boring, right? Mm. So they've got to do something different with it. Um, I personally think at the Master, that would be great. Davros, but I feel they're saving that for this coming festive special of 2022. Um, so, yeah, I, I've got my theory of what I would like to see for the 60th and I'm maybe working on something with a couple of people to maybe get some Doctor Who theories going on for the 60th we'll have to wait and see um, but yeah, I think the Master would be great, that, that would be my pick mm. for me when it comes to bringing back all oh, the Sea Devils, sorry oh okay, is that a classic Who monster? yeah, yeah see, I think they've only appeared once and it was in a Pear Tree episode but they look great and mm. I've always really liked them I guess my thing, my only real reference for bringing back a classic Who monster is because when I was growing up with Doctor Who, I didn't know which monsters were new and which ones were classic. Like, you know, I didn't yeah. realize that, say, the Sontarans were classic, but that the Jadoon were new. I, I had no idea. It was all just Doctor Who monsters. Um, yeah, yeah. The only real reference I have for kind of having some sort of awareness that it was a classic Who monster was the Zygons in the Day of the Doctor. And honestly, yeah. for me, I almost found it a little underwhelming. And I don't know if it's because kind of the Zygons are almost played in a almost comical, low-threat way. Like, they were kind of like the main obstacle, but they were by no means the focal point. So I feel like if you were to bring yeah. back the classic Q-Monster, make a big deal of it, treat them as a legitimate threat, really kind of be like, yeah, this this guy is back and it's mm. really cool that they're back rather than just yeah. throw away thing yeah no i agree with you there yeah you, you want to bring some some you're going to bring a monster back that we haven't seen before in a long time you want to do something cool with them rather than just go and it's like lurians to here Ta-da! you don't just want to do that do you know what i mean you want to have some sort of reason for them never to have come back and then what's their big return sort of thing yeah absolutely 
Um, I think they should bring back the autons, but all the autons look like past doctors and we don't realise that would be interesting. they're autons. We've only had the autons in New Hugh in Rose, right? Yeah, that's it. I'm surprised they've never made a return. Yeah. You think, I don't know, you think especially, I don't know, I, 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 some, I feel like, you know, we still have mannequins. Why not bring them back? <laughs> Again, we do. We do still have mannequins. Go on, Harry. Sorry, I interrupted you. Um, I think we only have one more thing to discuss, right? Which is this upcoming panel, which you know a lot more about than I do. Yeah, so San Diego Comic Con is it's at home again this year. It was at home last year. DC aren't going to be there, and Marvel aren't going to be there, but Doctor Who is. So hooray for that. And there's going to be a panel with John Bishop. Sorry, let me say that again. With Jodie Whittaker, Mandip Gill, and June Bishop, um, and a special and a moderator, of course, and a special guest star, who uh, whose identity has yet to be revealed. Um, people are debating if it's going to be a classic Doctor making an a classic Doctor being somebody before Whittaker, um, or is it going to be Sasha as the Master? Is it going to be that character who is a bit like Trump but isn't like Trump? Is it going to be an announcement where they say, in this series, Catherine takes back and here she is, or Alex Kingston as Riversong, or, or whatever. Um, Harry, who do you think said celebrity guest star could be? Okay, honestly, I had no idea until just a second ago. Um, because I know that you think it's going to be David Tennant. And well, I, I've, can I just say, I thought that just before I started speaking, but I thought they're bringing them onto the panel for a reveal. So they w- I don't feel like David's going to be in Series 13. So the, the, there's going to be a returning character in Series 13. And whoever that returning character in Series 13 is, is going to be the special guest for the Comic-Con panel. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah. And I agree. I feel like David just does not sound right. It made the- to bring back just for a series crossover feels like an underutilization of bringing back David Tennant. Um, exactly right. And I, I don't think it's going to be someone from the Chibnall era because I feel like that would almost be a little underwhelming. So I don't feel like it will be. Tim Shaw. Tim Shaw's back. Hmm? <laughs> Tim Shaw. They bring back Tim Shaw, the blue guy with the teeth in his face. Yeah. Uh, th- Yes, Tim Shaw. He was. What was his actual name? Was it like Tenjor or something? I can't remember. I totally don't know. <laughs> um, I remember it was like a big joke they made in the first episode. It was, yeah. Sorry, you didn't know what I was saying. Um, <laughs> okay. Sorry, yeah, you were saying you don't think it's going to be someone from the Chibnall era. No, because I feel like that would be a little underwhelming. I feel like Joe Martin or like Sasha Dewan. I feel like that wouldn't be quite enough to big up as this special guest star. I feel like if they were going to be on the panel, yeah. they'd just be on the panel. I do think, so I think it has to be a returning character from before um, Joey's era. And I honestly had no idea yeah. who this could be until you said Alex Kingston, which yeah. makes <laughs> too much sense. <laughs> it makes a Why lot of sense for Alex Kingston to come back. I know there's a whole thing that she doesn't know about any of the doctors past Capaldi, but 
tiny whiny shit can sort that out. And um, Kingston recently did an interview. She's got the, the River Song book out, The Ruby's Curse, I think it's called. And uh, in that, she talked about how when Capaldi takes her to that planet, they that's like her last trip. And she before her next trip is to the Silence of the Library where she dies. Um, so they she has that last night on that planet, but that night lasts like a hundred years or something. Like it was I can't remember. 50, they 30 or 40 years. Yeah, it's something like that, isn't it? So there's loads of time there for River to go on adventures again. But I, my understanding was it just she stayed with the Doctor on that planet for that whole I time. Can't remember. Like, well, they kind of well, like have to cut to black so you don't find out. Oh, well, uh, well, maybe we will find it. So I know there was talk of Catherine Sake possibly returning, and she'd been seen in Cardiff, and they weren't allowed to say what she was filming, and Doctor Who was filming there at the same time. So everybody went, oh, it could be Catherine, and we spoke about it in a video. Um, so do you think it could be Catherine? Just the thing with Catherine is, like, at what point during Donna's story would they reintroduce her? Would it be Donna now? Because if that happened, then she'd, like, remember shit and die, right? The, 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 the rumour was that it was Donna between the runaway bride and partners in crime. So she finds... A doctor, but not the doctor she wants. And she's like, I'm going to keep searching. Possibly, or unless they, she just never works out that it's a future version of the doctor because she doesn't know at this point anyway, she doesn't know the doctor can change. That could work for Donna. I feel like if they, they could put a comedic edge that she just doesn't realize it's the doctor. Because obviously she doesn't know about yeah. regeneration. So that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, Any more news, Harry? Any more news? I believe that's everything you gave me. That is every. Oh, one thing I do want to talk about is um, this week or last week, I went and saw Black Widow, the uh, Marvel movie, uh, which was, you know, is it's what it is. But, ooh, actually, no, we will, I'll edit this out. I, I, we won't talk about this. Are we not going to talk about Black Widow? No, we'll leave it because I'm going to go see it again tomorrow with some friends, so I might change my opinions. <laughs> okay. You're going to like <laughs> like with pop songs. You're just gonna listen to them on repeat until you come until your brainwash into thinking it's actually good. Good for you. You look happy and healthy. Not me. If you ever care to ask, good for you. You're doing great without me, baby. God, I wish that I could do that. What song is that? That's good for you by Olivia Rodrigo. Have you not heard it? It's like the best song ever at the moment. I I don't listen to radio. Oh my goodness, Harry. I will send you a link. I love it. You'll really like it, actually. Would I? Yeah, it's very um, sort of early 2000s skate park sort of Oh, cool. Music. Like Avril Lavigne vibes? Yeah, exactly. Nice. This whole bit's been yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yeah, cool. Right, if that's all the news then, Harry, do you want to segue us into this week's episode? Oh. Oh, oh I do have something to say. Um, if you've listened this far, which I very much doubt, go check our Twitter account because dur- this week we will be announcing a new guest um, celebrity interview with somebody who was in Doctor Who Series 4. Um, so yeah, go check that out. We'll be announcing who that is shortly. So uh, yeah, cool. Fun. Sorry, Harry. Back to you. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't ever mentioned this before, but I always record this from my apartment in a Birmingham, which is like on the eighth floor, and in the middle of summer, it gets like really, really like sweltering hot. 
right now, okay? And like mm. for audio, I turn my fan off, I close the window. So it's like, I'm like, I'm pretty survive. I'm like burning here, man. It's like, it's like I'm amongst like fires um, in, I don't know, some nondescript um, ancient <laughs> Roman city. Um, well, well, yeah. I, I, I know. Um, what, what are those cities called? Like, they, they, what are the names of some of those ancient Roman cities that exist anymore? Rome? Rome already, Rome still exists, Tim. Uh, okay. Um, Pom- Pom- Pompeii? Oh, yeah, Pompeii. It's, yeah, it's like amongst like fires in Pompeii or like fires of Pompeii. Speaking of fires of Pompeii, uh, ha-ha, I did it. That that was good effort for the probably the most trickiest one of this series. Actually, no, Planet of the Ood is going to be a bugger. How and some Taran stratagem. <laughs> See, when we started this, the episode titles are pretty, you know, ambiguous names. But now they're really specific about what happens in them. Why couldn't every episode just be called like Rose or Blink or Human Nature, you know? Like, why are we going to be called like the genesis of the Fleeble Bleeble Ding Dong? Like, <laughs> anyway, anyway, enjoy the rest of the episode, guys. The audio does get better, I promise. And of course, go follow us on Twitter to find out who that special guest is going to be. Uh, we'll see you around on the flip side. Flippity flop. See you. Or not? Radical. Shut up! Shut up! Shut the up! 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 Humans are better in one respect. You are better at subscribing. Seek, locate, subscribe. Hello everybody, welcome back to Big On Inside, the new Who, Doctor Who, Watch Along podcast. Um, we're doing, oh, I've already done that bit, haven't I? I do this a lot now where I seem to reintroduce the episodes, but you know where you are, you've been listening for a good 20 minutes so far. Um, I'm still here, Tim Saxby, and I'm still here with uh, Harry, you still here, Harry? I'm still here, yeah. <laughs> um, as slick as always. And what episode are we doing today, Harry? Today we are doing The Fires of Pompeii by I Need to Check His Name. <laughs> I, I, I watched this episode an hour ago. We started watching it an hour ago and the name came up and I didn't recognise the name. No, um, I think this is their first... Um, Brian... Uh, nope. Uh, where's the writer? Um, James something, I feel. James Moran. Oh, James Moran. Moran. James Moran, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what other Doctor Who work he's done. Um, I will look it up through the course of this episode. But the fires of Pompeii, Harry, what did you make of it? Honestly, I think for the, me, this might have been my kind of um, unquiet dead moment. Oh, right, okay. For you, you weren't expecting much from stories like the Unquiet Dead and just the Shakespeare Code when we first watched them and you were 
really pleasantly surprised. Yeah, that's and, right, yeah. And that's exactly what happened for me. You know, I thought this is kind of, oh, you know, a standard first historical of the series, kind of introduced the Doctor Companion dynamic a bit more. It exceeded my expectations and um, what I remembered of the episode. There was a lot more going on in this than I remembered was going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I literally just finished watching it 20 minutes ago and I enjoyed aspects of it but I did have a few problems with it that I'm sure we'll get to as we uh as we go along but I think one thing that we should probably talk about straight away is the fact that this episode has two cast members that are going to return and have significant roles in Doctor Who that being Karen Gillan and Peter Capaldi um Karen Gillan is pretty much unrecognisable. I feel if someone didn't tell you that was Karen Gillan, you wouldn't really look twice. Yeah, I'd agree because I did not realise Karen Gillan was in this episode. <laughs> did you not? Did you not? No, who was she? She was one of the lead people in Red. She's the one who spots Tennant and Donna at the start, you know, and she's running through. And oh, the like, one in the makeup. Yeah. Okay, that's why I did not recognise her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Karen. And also she isn't speaking with a Scottish accent as well, which uh, threw me for a little while as well. So oh yeah. um Peter Capaldi. Yes, like so, sorry, go on. I, I I just made a very silly joke about how that's what actors do, I guess. They they uh, okay. They, Peter Capaldi also in the episode. Yeah. Um his one of his first appearances in Doctor Who, well then obviously God's being tortured and Doctor Who again. Um, when watching this, do you struggle to not see the 12th Doctor? The only times that I struggle is when he is interacting with David Tennant. Yeah. Because it's that thing where it almost feels like a crossover before a crossover. When it's just kind of him in frame within the context of the scene, I can kind of I can make that disconnection and just view him as the character he's playing here. It's only when he's literally in the same frame as David Tennant where I think oh this is weird yeah and those two play off each other really well and that's a, 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 a multi-doctor combo I never really considered is 12 and 10 but I feel those two would be great on screen together after their chemistry in this episode anyway absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. it's a very uh, different performance from Capaldi that he's providing here compared to it's not like you watch this and you think, oh, he could he could play the Doctor well someday. Like he's, The role he's playing is entirely different to how he approaches the Doctor, which, you know, is what you'd expect from a good actor. And it's, it's a great performance and a great character. And he really, you can tell they love Doctor Who because he's getting the most out of it. And yeah. he's taking it so seriously and treating it with so much respect. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I, it would be interesting when we come to watch something like um, his Tortured episodes in Miracle Day, I think, if there's more of his Doctor appearing in that. I kind of want to see where Moffat picked him from. What did Moffat see? What role did he see him in? The way he went, oh, he's that's very Doctory. Hmm. Well, was it... I mean, I don't know if it was that or that Moffat just knew that Capaldi was a huge fan. And I don't know. I... I don't know. I'm sure if we looked, it wouldn't be hard to find some kind of behind-the-scenes thing of Moffat explaining just why he picked Capaldi. Yeah, definitely. Um, the start of this episode does also quite a good job, as every series sort of seems to do now, is re-establishing the audience with very basic rules of time travel, which is there is fixed points, there's non-fixed points. No matter where you go, you'll be able to understand the language and read everything. And 
the doctor's morals of interfering and not interfering, which plays quite a big part in this episode. But I, I like the fact they don't beat you over the head with it. It's almost worked into the story quite well. Well, it's like that's like they instead of making it an expository thing, they use that concept which we perhaps take for granted as viewers and really kind of explore what that means for the doctor, like psychologically how that affects him that he isn't able to do those things. Yeah. It's it's also in that sequence at the start where he sort of loses his rag with Donna a bit, where they do that um Time Lord Gallifrey yes thing and she says Donna human no. Uh, he says Doctor Time Lord yes Donna human no where they're talking about whether or not they're going to save the people and if they're going to tell people about Volcano Day the next day and stuff like that. And I quite like that sequence because you can sort of tell that the the 10th Doctor goes through phases of either wanting to travel with people or not wanting to travel with people. And it seems like at that moment, he was almost slightly pissed with himself that he'd let somebody else come along with him who's just going to sort of get in the way and he's going to have to reteach all this stuff to again. You kind of get a vibe that kind of between this and Voyage of the Damned, kind of between series four and that, that there's been perhaps a wider gap in time than there has been before. It feels like he's adjusted to, and perhaps before Donna came back into his life, he almost accepted that I'm going to just travel alone now. Yeah. And so it's kind of, this is a, a shift for him that he wasn't anticipating and he's having to, yeah, like you said, readjust to that. Similarly to how kind of you saw a lot of contention between the Ninth Doctor and Rose in something like The End of the World. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how long it has been then since Martha leaving to Donna join. Oh, sorry, from Voyage of the Dam to um, uh, Donna joining. I don't know. I've heard some people say that the Tenth Doctor or canonically a hundred years. Mm. Perhaps. Um, That's a big finish, though, no? <laughs> yeah. Um there's a really aside from um Capaldi and Karen Gillan, there's also a really good supporting cast of characters in this. Um despite this is probably one of my biggest problems I have with this episode, is there's a really good cast of characters, but I don't feel a lot of them get fleshed out enough. And I feel that there should have been less sci-fi elements and more human elements with the actual cast of characters and with Capaldi's family and more focused on that and less focused on the big monster and the big fire monster and the, the giant lava monsters. Yeah, and the stern woman and all yeah. that. Because I did there is a note here where I've I, my I've got one note and it says, what's happening in question mark? Because at one point I was watching it and I just sort of had what happened when we watched Tenant, which is when we watched Tenet, sorry, and I sort of went Oh, I'm watching this, but I don't really know what's going on. And I was sort of like enjoying the story and the music and the sets and the way it was looking. But then I was like, but what, what, why is he crawling into the ground and why is he picking up dust? Uh, I was like, and who's this old guy who's telling the... I, 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 maybe I wasn't fully concentrated in this episode, but it's, it, it's, I feel it tried to possibly cram in too much when there were stronger story elements it could have developed. Perhaps, yeah. Perhaps kind of like... Because obviously we had um, all the um, women in red and them kind of being the whole fortune teller people worshipping the mountain. Perhaps the whole element of like the lava monster people, guard aliens, maybe that was an element that perhaps they could have found a way to maybe remove that and tie the other older guy um, 
into that group of women and maybe just made it all a bit tighter. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just looking here at James um, Moran's uh, TARDIS wiki. He wrote Doctor Who, The Flies of Pompeii. It's the only Doctor Who episode he wrote. And then he wrote two Torchwood episodes, um, some short trips. Are they big Finnish stuff, I want to say? Um, might Are short been. trips like those like, online shorts that they did? Doctor Eighth Doctor. Uh, I'm just having a quick look. Uh, Tyler Swicky's trying to bombard me with adverts for Loki, even though I know I'm going to watch it. Uh, Companions was the eighth, 18th story in a short trip's anthology, Short Trip's Christmas Around the World. It's right and features the eighth doctor. Uh, oh no, it's just a, it's literally just a short story. So he's wrote other Doctor Who things, but hasn't come back to the actual show. Yeah, he has wrote some big finished stuff. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. So. I'm surprised that it surprised me because a lot of people seem to really enjoy this episode. It seems to be one that has Maybe. a lot of key elements and is obviously in Capaldi's tenure heavily called back to in a certain episode. Maybe the issue you're having with saying this, you felt there was a bit too much in the story. Maybe that ties to if this is a primarily big finish writer, obviously, big finish stories don't have the same restrictions in terms of how long they have to be. So maybe. If this had been the length of a big finish story and all these ideas and characters had a bit more space to breathe, like you'd have liked, then maybe this would have worked as a two-parter. Perhaps, perhaps this could have been. Which is interesting, is you don't normally like the two-parters. No, I don't. But I feel this could have. I often find that the two-parters I don't like because I I often find there isn't enough story to justify two parts. But then there's usually one or two episodes of series I'm like it was too crammed. He needed time to breathe and I feel this was one of them. It takes us back to that thing that perhaps an optimum Doctor Who story length is like an hour or an hour ten. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned them briefly then, the, the women in red. I can't remember their names. But what did you think to their design? It's very simplistic, but when you get a shot of them with their hands over their eyes and they've got eyes drawn on the back of their hand, it did make me sort of giggle a little bit because I was like, oh, that's a quite a simplistic design choice and it's a bit maybe on the nose a little bit. I'm not sure if that's something that ever actually happened, but it feels something of an obvious choice almost. It worked for me just because it was edited in a very slick way. It kind of it showed one of them covering their eyes and talking and it cuts to the other one doing the same thing in the same position. And yeah. for me, because it communicated very clearly um, what they were doing. For me, the editing was so clear and it was efficient storytelling for me so okay. I didn't really mind if it was a bit obvious um, Something that I did like about this episode is even though it's a historical episode, there's a lot of modern elements within it, especially the family unit, um, there's the moody teenage son, which I really enjoy that sort of, even in Pompeii he didn't want to be worshipping the gods, and he just wanted to do his own thing and he jealous of his sister and all this and I just thought it worked out really well, especially with, when he's been out drinking and Capaldi's like, oh, you hung over, what an embarrassment. And he's clapping his hands in his ear and stuff like that. I really like those sort of elements where it's sort of, you don't really question it when you're watching it. You're not like, they wouldn't really be doing this in Pompeii. They wouldn't be saying mates and all this stuff and sort of the language they use as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a similar way to like how in Shakespeare code they made Shakespeare, they kind of modernized the way he spoke interacted quite a bit because yeah. really kind of with these historical stories i feel like 
those key historical figures they meet are always kind of very much the heart of the story. Being yeah. this family, Charles Dickens, William Shakespeare. And so I feel like it makes sense for them to kind of modernize the way that they are, especially for an audience so that we can kind of have them as something that grounds us in this, what is otherwise a bit of an unfamiliar place. Yeah. Um, there was something mentioned in this episode that uh, sort of slips my mind beforehand, which is the other old guy who is... This, the thing with this episode is that I can't remember any characters' names, but you know who I'm talking about. He comes yeah, in and he guy. says to the Doctor that she is returning, and he turns to Donna and he says, there is something on your back. And I'd forgotten that this was a, a reoccurring theme throughout this episode, throughout this series, because... Last week we had the return of Rose Tyler, but we don't see a return of Rose this episode. Um, but um, following episodes, we do get glimpses. So I like the fact that this is more visual for an audience than something like Vote Saxon or Bad Wolf. Mm, yeah, I, I think it was a very cool way of doing it. I guess at this point in the series, kind of recurring viewers have kind of accepted that the. Russell likes to kind of have these things planted yeah, um, for our series building up to a finale. So I guess it just makes sense to kind of escalate that and make it a much more prominent thing. Yeah. Yeah. Did, uh, I also picked up the doctor mentions his father just casually when uh, the young boy of the family says, don't tell my father. And the doctor says, as long as you don't tell mine. It's all got me thinking, how would you feel if we were introduced to the doctor's sort of relatives and family. I personally, because we will get to it when we talk about um, Tennant's last episode, there is a few um, story rumours there, but I feel I would quite like uh, a doctor to meet a father or mother, Not maybe not both of them, but maybe just the one. I feel it would be quite rewarding and quite nice to see something like that. That's interesting, because the thing I immediately think about there is what Stephen Moffat said in that extensive interview when he quit his showrunner on a YouTube channel, um, where he said that kind of, he feels while you can reveal some things about the doctor's life and his past, the thing that he specifically said he would never do is he would never show Mrs. Who. Because obviously, because the um, Susan, the first companion is the doctor's, uh, granddaughter we know the doctor must have therefore have had a family and children and then grandchildren and Moffat to him he seems to him he feels like revealing the doctor's family is a no-go area and then yeah. removes especially because we know so much now at this point in law about the doctor that they're a time lord they grew up with the master they're from Gallifrey and all of that it's... Perhaps it's necessary to keep some things ambiguous and to maintain yeah. a certain level of mystery. Yeah, I like that thing of when he met, because obviously you know he had kids, so I kind of like that aspect that that's kind of hidden a little bit. But I think it would be nice for, especially a Tennant character, especially at the end, uh, we won't, we'll wait till we get to Tennant's last episode. But Whitaker, for example, I feel that would be a really good idea if she could meet her father, or their father, sorry, um, I feel like whatever the gender of the Doctor is, they should therefore meet the reversal parent. So a female Doctor should meet the father and a male Doctor should meet the mother. And I feel that would be quite, maybe just for one episode, just a quite fun sort of 
moment that would be quite heartwarming, I feel. Uh, the question I have though is like, once you reveal them, what do you do with that? What does that, that bring to a Doctor Who story beyond, oh, this is a relative of the Doctor, that's cool. Like, I feel like you need a compelling storytelling idea. And a real, especially with a show that's been on this long, you need something really compelling as a storytelling yeah. idea to suddenly bring in this massive addition to the law. Yeah, I feel there was, there's been two points since it's come back where that could have happened. But I feel like those were the two penultimate points where if they were going to do it now, it would maybe feel forced. Mm. Tell yeah. me what those points are when we reach them. I know I will, one of them, I will obviously. Do. Um, some great Tenth Doctor moments in this. Uh, something that I've started to notice about the Tenth whenever he comes in at the end to save his companions... He does like this sort of rambling speech where he just spurts a load of bollocks and sounds really clever and then saves everybody. Where he comes in and he's like, Donna's tied to that thing and he comes in talking about all this historical people who he's been and kissed. And then he's going on about, um, oh, don't worry, it's just us girls. And he's messing around and then just like, casually just lets Donna out and nobody seems to question him. Yeah, that is the time doctor, he does like to kind of eat. He takes a notable amount of joy in kind of saving the day. He's yeah. quite confident he does that. Yeah. Which is interesting. This this story really kind of pushes the Doctor to those extremes. Like in that scene, like he's got the whole water pistol and he's doing very silly things with that whilst also still saving the day. And then and later on, you get very weighty moments from him. It's yeah. interesting that this story kind of, because normally you get kind of one or the other in a Doctor Who story, but I don't know, some, maybe something about like the presence of Donna that's kind of, pushing him to those extremes yeah we should probably talk about that then the penultimate of this of this episode so the, the conclusion to this episode is that he does go back and he does save peter capaldi and his kids i i find weird saying that well i can't remember the character's name but um they go back and they save just those people and i think that links quite well to what um, Clive Swiss character said in Voyage of the Down, Mr. Copperfield, where he says, if you could decide who lives and who dies, that would make you a villain. Um, and this is really the start of that journey of something that does become a motif throughout the rest of the 10th Doctor's tenure of deciding who lives and who dies. And I think this is probably one of the best examples we get of it. Yeah, it's a very interesting one because here it's framed very much as a good thing and that... Donna is a necessary addition to the TARDIS team and that she's grounding the Doctor and giving him that, that human touch that perhaps he lacks. And that, and it's kind of a great thing that he's saving these people. But at the same time, before that, he's kind of right when he says, I can't just save people. If I could go back and save people, I would, but I can't. It's, a, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. I also also works quite well because Donna is an older character compared to Martha and Rose. So she's not as, you know, blindsided and mesmerised by the Tenth Doctor's charm and what he's able to show off. She's still got that sort of grounded human element to her rather than go, oh, look at this magical, handsome man showing me the world. She's like, yeah, that's nice, but check your morals, mate. Yeah, I mean, I mean, she's not really in awe of the Doctor at all. She isn't. She isn't at all mesmerized by how clever or um, handsome or anything is. Like you said, like the the reason that really she's with him is for the adventure itself. It's not for him specifically. 
Yeah. And so that means she does have that room to challenge him in a perhaps more objective way than the last two companions have had. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm just trying to work out how old uh, Donna Noble would be based off Catherine Tate's age. So Catherine Tate at the time was 40 years old. So 35-ish, I would probably put Donna. Whereas Rose is 19. Martha was a little bit older. I think she was about 20 because she just finished university and was at medical school. Um, Whereas Donna is like a whole two decades older than the two of them, really. So I quite like that sort of more grounded friendship rather than just showy showy off sort of mesmerised handsomeness. Is Catherine Tate slightly older than David Tennant? David Tennant has just turned 50, I think. David Tennant age. David Tennant is 50. So Catherine Tate's age is... Catherine Tate is 51. That's basically the same age. Yeah. That that is interesting, because obviously, although the Doctor canonically is a character who's been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years, um, having an element of kind of the actor's age always feeds into the role. Like, obviously, Tennant and Smith, compared to some others, have had a much more of a youthfulness and an energy about their performances. And so having someone who is an, the same or an older age to kind of, it, it adds something which you don't usually see because usually the companion is younger than the actor playing the doctor. So I, I know I kind of wish that kind of them being closer in age is something I did more often. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, that would be good. Um, I'm all out of points here, Harry. So before I go on to uh, listeners' thoughts on the episode, do you have anything else to say? I just want to really commend, especially in the conclusion, the performances that are being put in. I've already said that kind of Capaldi is clearly treating the role with so much seriousness and so much heart. Yeah. And you see that from, like, Catherine Tate as well. Like, when she's begging the Doctor to just save someone. Like, I mean, you know, like... Because it's just her second episode and as a companion, and we were probably going into... I mean, at the time, you know, I knew Catherine Tate best as, you know, the woman with this funny sketch show I'm not allowed to stay up and watch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was expecting her to be an all-out all comedy companion, and the, her performance at the end of this episode completely inverses that expectation. Definitely, yeah. Um, I've just lost... Um, the thing I was about to read out from one of our listeners, I put it out on every week, guys. I go on Twitter and Instagram at Bigger on the Pod, and I ask you guys your opinions on whatever episode we're about to talk about this week. Of course, it was the fires of Pompeii, and I'll read the one response that I can find straight away from Lavender Possum on Twitter. So, thank you very much. Um, unsure if it was intentional, but the episode feels like a nice callback to the Aztecs episode from Classic Who in terms of story and themes. Donna Noble is my favourite and her interaction with Ten is always fun to watch. So, yeah, maybe that's why we felt, or me especially, felt some sort of disconnect from the episode because I'm not a big indulger in Classic Who, so perhaps uh, people who are more familiar with that would have felt a more sort of grounded response to it. Mm, perhaps, perhaps. I mean, I didn't really think about the connection to Classic Who, but I guess 
I know, I guess there are certain elements of it that, without watching Classic Who, do you evoke that aesthetic, like, especially when they're in kind of, like, the Roman family's house and the set, it, it, I don't imagine that's too dissimilar to the kind of sets they would have had in Classic Who, just, you know, nice well, cameras and lighting. That. I'm not sure about the interior sets, but I know the out, the exterior sets were uh, all an actual film production studio somewhere in Italy, I want to say, which is where they recently filmed The Two Popes and the Eurovision Song Contest 1991. Huh. That's a, <laughs> that's a very random fact. It is. Um, yeah, we like to change things up on the podcast now and again, but one thing that is obviously very consistent is the quiz! You, you, not me. I hate being patient. Patience is for wimps. Yay, the quiz, oh boy. As I said last week, series four, so four questions for Harry to get wrong this week. Question number one, when introduced to Peter Capaldi, what name do the Doctor and Donna take on? They take on Spartacus. Correct, Amondo, well done. What is Peter Capaldi's character known for selling? Is it marble? It is marble. Well done. When talking to the youngest family member, Donna Noble references a UK shop. Can you remember what that UK shop is? She gives it a funny name, so I will take both answers. I don't know. Is it like Morrison's or something? TK Maxx, and she calls it TK Maximus. Oh, right, that makes sense. At the end of the episode, Peter Capaldi's character, when it's six months later, he's asking for a belt buckle thing that has a insect printed upon it. Can you remember the insect that is mentioned to be printed upon the belt buckle? That's such an infuriatingly specific question. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to say, like, a, a beetle... Yes! Three out of four, Harry. You're doing better now that I'm putting more questions there. <laughs> well, yeah, because there's more opportunities to guess right. But John Pertwee, I'm like, no, Harry, you're wrong again. <laughs> um... Do you have anything to recommend again, Harry, or have you forgotten and you would like me to go first? Before I go, I just want to tell you you were fantastic. Uh, you go first while I try to think of something and ultimately fail. Okay, so the thing I'm going to recommend this week isn't a perfect thing, and it's not something I thought I was going to particularly enjoy, but I did enjoy it a lot more than I thought I would, and that is the Friends reunion. So by the time this episode goes out, a lot of people will have already seen it who wants to see it. But um, me personally, didn't really grow up in a friend's era, but my older brother and sister very much did, so I was very aware of its presence, and I think it's almost impossible to avoid friends. But if you're not a fan of the show, but you're just a fan of TV and media and the industry, I think it's a very interesting watch to see these people and to hear about the connection that this show gave them and see them interacting again and living out on the set again. And obviously, unfortunately, James Corden's there, but... He's not that much in it. Um, and there's some random celebrity guest interviews as well for no reason. Um, but there is some really good stuff in there. 
when it actually comes to the main cast members and their memories of the show and what it's like seeing each other. And it's sort of very well done with growing old and reflecting on like these important times in your life, which is what the show Friends is actually about. So it's quite interesting, that aspect of it. So I'm going to recommend the, the, the reunion episode of Friends. Do you think that, because I've heard this argument from people, do you think it's better that they did a more conventional reunion rather than creating a new episode? Uh, yes and no, because I feel either way people were going to be annoyed by what they did. If you brought it back and did a reunion episode, like a reboot, you know, where are they now? People, not everybody's going to be available. And you might have had like a scene where, oh, look, it's everybody's with David Schwimmer, apart from Lisa Kudrow, because she wasn't available this day. And then in the next scene, everybody's there, apart from Jennifer Aniston and Matt LeBlanc, because they were available. You, you run that risk of really limiting certain aspects that you can do. Um, and also that you then have to pick up all these loose ends. And of course, it's not going to be set in the same apartment because everybody will have moved away. So it wouldn't really feel like Friends. I, I would imagine it would feel like you were watching an episode of Cougar Town, which was Courtney Cox's um, comedy afterwards, which had guest appearances from Matthew Perry, Lisa Kudrow and Jennifer Aniston. Because you you could put the cast of Friends on another set and it wouldn't feel like friends because friends is also the apartment and central perk and all that stuff. And if you can't put them there, then what's the actual point of doing that again? Do you know what I mean? So I feel this was a good way. And I feel I would rather watch something like this than watch a new episode of friends. Interesting. Interesting. How about yourself? What, what, what are your thing? Have you watched the French reunion or? I've not watched Union. I watched all. I, I saw Friends a lot growing up because it's impossible to not see Friends growing up. Yeah. Um. So I like Friends. I like Friends. It's not my favorite sitcom. I've had, you know, but I think it's a very good sitcom, and yeah. I understand why it's so popular. Um. I I don't know. I don't know. Um. I feel like the thing of it reunion is. It would have to be at least as well written as the original sitcom was, if not even better written to match the expectation. Yeah. Um, and I just I don't know if it would have been possible to do that because I, I feel like you're not just fighting the quality of the original show; you're also fighting people's nostalgia for that show, which then elevates the material in their yeah. hearts and minds. Um. So I, I'm not saying it can't be done because I've seen it done. I've seen certain reunions. Like I remember, you know, when they brought back Gavin and Stacey, was it two Christmases ago now? Yeah. One Christmas ago? Will be two Christmases I feel like this that, year, yeah. Yeah. But when they did that Gavin and Stacey reunion, I think that matched the quality of the original show in every area, yeah. which was a miracle that they managed to do that. But um, I also feel that might be to do with the fact that Gavin and Stacey didn't really have a definitive conclusion there wasn't the classic sitcom film of the lead character walking out the flat, turning around, turning the light off, switching the light off and closing the door. Gavin and Stacey just had a really nice final episode and that was it. In the same way the in-between has sort of ended with them going on a camping trip and then they did, obviously they did the movies afterwards, which had a more definitive close point. But these not so, whereas Friends had that sort of, this is the last episode, we're going to tie everything up so they're going to live happily ever after. 
I think Lisa Kudrow says it in the Friends reunion. She says, if you bring it back, you have to undo all those knots and you have to undo a perfect bow to look at the present and then wrap it all up again. Oh, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring it in between us because obviously they did try to do that weird reunion thing, which was in many senses similar to what this Friends reunion was. But it was the original cast all just driving around in the car. And that was the best bit of that whole thing. In the same way that the Friends reunion, the best thing about that is seeing them on the set. And the best thing about the Inbetweeners reunion is seeing them interacting with each other and going back to the school and being in the car and doing all that stuff. But the worst part of that, and the worst part of the Friends reunion, in my opinion, is when they're sat talking to a host about their time on that show. Because even though that's fun we don't really enjoy the third party element of Jimmy Carr, James Corden, whoever that might be, because they're not part of the friends in between as group. Do you know what I mean? They're just a celebrity fan. And I feel that can sort of cheapen it a little bit. That what said, done, like, James Corden does do I... a good job at hosting that friends reunion. Um, even though I'm not his biggest fan, he does do a good job at it. And it's very clear that he's very excited to be there but I just don't think that aspect of the show was needed that much. What if it had been hosted by like someone on the show? As I say, what if like Paul Rudd had been the one coordinating that interview? Well, I, spoilers, but Paul Rudd doesn't appear in the Friends reunion um, at all. Like he's mentioned, but to then go back to what you said about them doing an actual episode, it's like, well, if he's not available to do a quick video message yeah. and say hello, is he going to turn up and do a, re- you know what I mean? That's true. Like, obviously, yeah, we have to write around. So, Phoebe, why is your husband not with you? Yeah, and it would either be they just make a very weak, oh, you know, um, he he he's doing something else. <laughs> yeah, make it. or they'd have to, or they'd have to do some really, maybe make a joke of like, oh, he died because that's the kind of thing that would happen to Phoebe's husband. But then everyone would hate that because they're like, no, you killed the character who I yeah. liked. I mean, also, also, the reason why he's not there is because he's Ant-Man. So. Yeah. And also, we're very good friends. And when we go back to our sort of close group of friends on sixth form, when was the last time we were all in a room together? It was probably a, a, quite a while ago, considering. Um, so what are the actual realistic chances that 20-plus years later, the same group of friends are all going to get together? Because you're going to have great new friends and do your own thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I also think as a story point, it doesn't really work out. If it was a family, which it is with Ross and uh, Monica, then yeah, but I sort of feel like, you know. Yeah. So what are you recommending? So that concludes our... Oh, oh, I have to recommend something. Oh, yeah, sure. I was hoping by just keeping you talking about friends would have forgotten I'd have to recommend something. (laughs) Well... If we're on the subject of beloved 90s sitcoms, I don't think I've ever recommended it before, but it's my favourite comedy. It is Dong. Seinfeld. Yep. Um, so it's, it's you know, if if you're one of those people who's jaded by friends, because I know there are some people who are jaded by friends and they they don't like the, I don't know, the sentimentality of it or whatever, which I don't mind. I think it's nice. But Seinfeld yeah. is the complete inverse of that. Um, it's a show that predates Friends a little bit. It's, um, in many ways, it's got a very similar energy of just kind of characters, friends, talking around, chatting shit. But then the direction their stories take, instead of having big overarching storylines, which they sometimes have, 
kind of the two rules of the show by its creator was no lessons, no hugs. Yeah. So the characters never grow, they never learn anything, they just make the same stupid mistakes over and over again, and it gets funnier each time. Yeah. And you get to learn to love these characters, you learn to love to hate these characters, um, you learn to love watching them fuck up. I love Seinfeld. Um, I love all those... I love that neurotic foursome um, and the crazy, crazy funny things that they do. Um, so that's what I'm going to recommend. Go go watch the Seinfeld show. It's uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David are the two like most bankable comedians in the US for a reason. Cool beans. I like the 90s turned out a lot of shit, but the sitcoms were quite good. Yes. Frasier, Seinfeld, Friends, Malcolm in the Middle, a little bit. What, what do you think about Everybody Loves Raymond? I've never seen it, so I couldn't possibly pass an opinion. Uh, I don't really like Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I do like, Harry. I like it when people like, comment, subscribe, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and follow us on all our social media accounts which can be found in the description below. I think we've spoken more about our recommendations than we did about the actual episode of Doctor Who, but that's fine. It's fun. Yeah, half of this episode was talking about Friends, which I don't mind. I, I like Friends. I like talking about Friends. And, and we had that episode where we where I, where I horribly laughed at those other people doing a Friends Watch Long podcast. And I'm sure that they've been over the moon with uh, um, the Friends reunion news. So good luck to them as well. Hi. All about spreading the love. Yeah, I bet they've got like three whole new sections out talking about whether or not Matthew Perry's okay. (laughs) Matthew Perry? Oh yeah, Matthew Perry, yeah. Yeah, everyone was like, everyone was saying like, is Matthew Perry all right? Because apparently he got really emotional or something. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, it's not been overblown. No, I asked him. Give him a ring. Oh, you rung him up. It's like, hey, Matt, you're doing good? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, he's fine. He's just drunk. Right, anyway. (laughs) It's about the Volcano drinking Matthew Perry. I don't know. I just said it. I just said it. I don't know any context. Anyway, we'll end this podcast here. I think Matthew Perry's fine. I've seen stuff in the past about Matthew Perry. I might edit this bit out. (laughs) Um... Let me hang on, let me do a clean slate where I end the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. And Harry, what episode are we back with next week? Next week we are back with is it called Planet of the Ood? Is it a two parter or is this a one parter? No, no, it's just a one parter. It's just a one parter. Yes. I think a two parter right. comes after it. That's yeah. true. I also we, spoilers, we pre-record these, so I'm very much looking forward to when we get to this episode hearing your segue into the fires of Pompeii. I'm sure it was amazing. I, that was crossed my mind. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys soon, guys. Say goodbye, Harry. Bye bye. Oh, nope, wait, wait. Make sure you subscribe to the official Bigger on the Inside podcast.